Father, we're singing that prayer to you today. That's what it is. It's, it's not just a song. It's a prayer, Lord. We want to wait on you. We want to hear from you. And we're asking you that you would renew our strength. Lord, you tell us in your word to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Lord, we are we're not strong in ourselves. We acknowledge our weakness. We believe you are strong. You are mighty. You are God of all gods, Lord of all lords, Lord Jesus, King of kings. You rule and reign. There is no match to your power or strength. You spoke and created. You raised the dead to life. You keep every promise. You are strong and mighty and powerful. You parted the Red Sea, brought manna from heaven, fed the 5,000, made the lame to walk, made the blind see. You calmed the sea, spoke to the waves. You are strong. And Father, based on who you are, who you've been, what you can do, we're asking you. Renew our strength. Father, that song said, I choose life in the darkness. And Father, I pray in this room today, somebody's in a battle for their life. Lord, I, I pray by your strength they choose life. Physical, Lord, physical battle of just wondering if this is the last hope. I pray today that you would come fast to them, give them hope strength and choose life spiritual life Lord just the enemy just winning again and again and again we're praying Lord that you'd be so good for us you'd fight the battle and win today personally and corporately in this room we know that the enemy comes to kill to steal destroy you've come that we may have life and life abundant by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, we believe that you are greater than the enemy in this world. And so we ask you, we invite you, we're, we're warning you to win. Help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open our Bibles today to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we began our 9 o'clock hour with baptism. And I mentioned that uh, to let you celebrate a little bit in your heart, but also to remind you that if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that we look at Scripture, just, uh, what, what those who believe and trust Christ do is they make it public by following the Lord in believers' baptism. And I'd love to talk to you today. Or maybe you would trust Jesus Christ right now, even as I speak. No need to put it off. No need to wait. You believe that you're looking for hope, for life, for something new. And we're saying to you today that ultimately the message in this room is this. We're all sinners. And we need a Savior. And God sent his son to die on a cross to pay for your sin. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. He ascended to heaven and he's coming back one day. Your faith in that Savior, your faith in Jesus Christ, wipe away your sins, 
You turn from whatever you've been trusting in and turn to Jesus Christ and follow him your whole life. Call out to him today and be saved. Let's talk about it. And I'd love to see you then take that next step, just like Henry did this morning, and, uh, and, and be baptized, just like Scripture says. I'd love to talk with you about that. Uh, we're in 21 days of prayer. We have uh, Monday, through Friday, Monday through Saturday coming up. The invitation is open to meet me here in the chapel at 621. We, we start right at 621. We're finished at 7 or a few minutes before. We're praying together uh, privately, silently, and then we come together and say a few closing words and a few people offer prayers out loud, and then we're on into our days. Many of you have been able to do that on the mornings. Many of you are doing that in your homes or in your places of work where you are already or on your way uh, to work. Maybe you haven't been. I want to encourage you to pick a day this coming week and, and come and pray at 621 and, um, and, and maybe even set this week aside and, and let's meet and pray. People of all ages there, teenagers, college students, adults, senior adults, and uh, just in there praying. Next Sunday night, we bring our 21 days of prayer to a close. We'll meet in this room, invite all of you to be here, and we'll pray together, sing together, worship the Lord together, and bring to a close this intentional, intense time of prayer before the Lord. Um, I think it's the most scared I've ever been. Still looking back, times I've been scared before, but the most scared I've ever been Single-digit age, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, not ten, just in those single-digit years. I'm in my front yard at dark with my brother, and it's near Halloween, and we were doing some things out there related to Halloween in the yard, and all of a sudden, I hear this from one end of the house, massive stomping sound, massive running sound. I start to run in the other direction, and I glance back over my shoulder, and I see this massive white blob coming toward me. I run faster. That object runs faster, moves faster. I'm screaming louder until um, I, I just, all of a sudden, that thing grabs me. And when I look up at that thing that had grabbed me, it was white and it had a there was the face of what appeared in my mind to be a devil and 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 the screaming and I just just paralyzed just limped there and all of a sudden this hand reaches up and grabs this mask off and it's my dad <laughs> he thought it funny to uh, be in the house and grab a sheet and an old plastic mask it looked like a devil with horns and all of that kind of stuff and just come running around the house. Still to this day, my mom says, that day I was most angry with your dad in all our marriage. And uh, I think for good reason. Uh, you know, when I um, think about that, and I think that uh, wasn't real. Uh, that was fake. It was a plastic Mask. The devil doesn't have horns and, and uh, it's not red in color and 
Uh, there's no pitchfork and long tail and and uh, that's that's not the way for us in our life that Satan attacks. For great majority in this room, the the enemy we we know it's real. We we understand the battle is real, but it's not that forthcoming. And the battle that we deal with over and over again is much more subtle. Much more subtle attack by the enemy. Can be just as paralyzing, but more subtle. The Bible tells us that the enemy masquerades as an angel of light. The verses that Jason read earlier speaks of spiritual forces, cosmic powers, The writer of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, addresses, says, for us to stand firm against the schemes, against the wiles, uh, against the strategies of the devil. He's real, and the battle is real, but often subtle. How do we win the fight of our life? We're looking at that over these weeks, and we, we win the battle of our life Against the enemy, we said first, by being battle ready. We just go into our day. We go into walking with Christ, being battle ready. To be battle ready means for us to be strong, not strong period, but to be strong in the strength of the Lord. It's an acknowledgement of weakness. It's us saying to God, I can't do it on my own, but I can do it, Lord, through you, you and me. We're battle ready. We're, we're battle ready by being strong in the Lord and then we're battle ready by armoring up. Putting on the whole armor of God. And once we're battle ready, we continue to just think about this, this winning the fight of our life. We, we do that by scouting the enemy. And last week we talked about scouting the enemy. And there's some things that we learn about our opposition. We're taught in Ephesians 6. And just four descriptors of how the enemy operates. One is... His nature is invisible and evil. Not only is the enemy invisible and evil, but the enemy's intent is to deceive and destroy. And the enemy's tactics are strategic and seasonal. And the enemy's ability, praise the Lord, is limited and temporary. Amen? That's the good news. That's the reason you can have hope today. If you would find yourself, if you say, Pastor, I'm doing everything but standing for Christ right now. I'm the enemy's heaping victory upon victory over me in this life. Here's the good news. He's beatable. He's beatable. His ability is limited. This week I got a text from a guy who listened to the online service and He said in that text, he said, thank you for the reminder. The one thing out of the whole sermon from last week, he said, thank you for the reminder that our enemy is beatable. He can be defeated. You're not fighting against an ultimate champion in this battle. His ability is limited and temporary. So today we come to these verses and... We go from being battle ready to scouting the enemy to beginning to look at these pieces of armor that we have to put on in our battle against the devil and his helpers. And I want to call the message today just simply tighten up. 
Now, that was going to be a great title if the Titans had taken care of business yesterday, but we're going to stick with it and, um, and call today's message Titan uh, Ephesians 6, verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And we stop there. Just that phrase today having fastened on the belt of truth. What does that mean? How do we apply it? How does it help us win? What's the goal? In our spiritual battle, what is the ultimate goal? The goal is for us to stand. It says it again and again. The word just keeps showing up. Seems like the most common word in these phrases are two. One is all. The word all just keeps coming up over and over again. And then the word stand. Stand. Stand firm. Do everything you can to stand. Stand therefore. The goal is for us to stand. For us to believe in Jesus Christ. Believe the truth of his word. And when the enemy comes against us. That we don't cave. That we don't compromise. That we don't fall in. That we're not tripped up. That we don't stumble. We stand. I love the imagery when you put together the being battle ready of being strong in the Lord. That's an acknowledgement of weakness. It's a picture of us lowering ourselves before the Lord and saying that you're the great one. You're the strength. You're the power. I love the imagery of this. It's it, the imagery of fighting this battle of our life is this. We are to consistently bow before the Lord so that we can continually stand against the enemy every day moment by moment by moment a spirit of consistently bowing before the father so that we can continually stand against the enemy so the goal expectation is that we would stand the opportunity for us is preparation that's what we have right now we got 23, 24, 25 minutes or so, 30 minutes or so, we're here together. And here's a window of time in your life that God's given you and given me a chance together to prepare for the battle ahead. When Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, he certainly were in a time where it was difficult to live for Christ. They were in the minority. They... they it was new there. But he writes with a sense in these verses as if something harder's coming. He, he, he identifies it even by, by saying the verse we just read in verse 13 that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And in the evil day was a recognition that there are times where the enemy seems to operate seasonally. There are times where the intensity of the battle is greater and it rages harder toward us. We know that biblically. We know that experientially where there are times where we say, man, it's been a good day, pretty nonchalant day, pretty casual day. And other times we would say, man, I'm exhausted. And the only way to describe why we're exhausted is because we've been in a spiritual 
battle. It's an evil day. And he's writing in these verses, giving the church at Ephesus an opportunity to prepare for a battle. He, and and I, I want you to think just a minute with me here. What kind of season is ahead for you? What kind of season is ahead for you that could be a setup for a takedown by the enemy? What's coming that could be a setup? For a takedown by the enemy. Think about those things that could be coming in your life. Some of you are at an age where you're beginning to talk to your parents about dating. And there's a desire. I mean, your, your eye has caught the look of someone else. And there's a thought there. There's a desire there. And you're thinking about dating. It's a new stage in your life. And, and I would just say to you that in this kind of just new environment for your life is dating what could be ahead for you what think about a, a, a new day a new chapter of your life where you're entering into relationship with with another person what might the enemy be wanting to do in your heart in your life with his lies to defeat you some of you are in your last semester of high school some of you are headed thinking right now all you're thinking about is test scores and GPAs and scholarships and locations and if you're going to live in the dorm are you going to go through rush senior itis is hit big and you're looking to that next time when you're out of the home and all your boundaries change think about this it's an opportunity today for you to be prepared for the battle that's going to rage against your life in a new season where the enemy's going to come and try to knock the foundation out from under you of what your years of growing up in a church or growing in your faith has been. Some of you are experiencing loss and maybe even in the year ahead there's loss coming for you. and Opportunity today that to prepare you for the battle that Satan would try to bring in your life because of a time of grief. Our culture is changing so much. If we take just a brief moment to go back in just 10 years, just a 10-year span of history and look and see the kinds of things, the way values have changed and beliefs have changed and thoughts have changed. Just in the last 10 years of our culture, What's ahead? Could it be God's preparing us right now as believers? And this discussion about putting on the spiritual armor to be ready that we may be able to stand even when culture around us is changing. Retirement. And you're, it's, listen, there's so much more going on in retirement than having enough money to live on and having a hobby to do and a place you always wanted to go to. Think about coming into those days of retirement, what God wants to do in those days. And think about how the enemy may see that as a season in your life to come against you and wipe you out, knock you down, keep you from standing firm and being used for God's glory. You see, the motivation for us looking at this spiritual armor and, and is, is the fact that he's given us a window here to prepare for the battle before it rages. We want to stand. We want to be battle ready. What, notice the metaphor that the Apostle Paul uses. It's a metaphor of a soldier with armor. 
He could have described a spiritual battle in a lot of different ways, but he chooses a soldier. Where did that come from? I wonder, some people say it had to be because of his own setting. Apostle Paul's in prison. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. Some people report they believe that an actual soldier would have been attached to him to guard him. And maybe in those moments of writing the letter, he looks over and he sees that soldier. And he's like, man, you know, the battle's like this guy. I need that armor. I would agree more with James Montgomery Boyce who says it's likely that the inspiration here uh, came from what the Apostle Paul knew of the Old Testament about God. And the pictures in the Old Testament of how God is a warrior and God uses his armor to win. He points out in Isaiah 59, listen to these phrases in Isaiah 59 that would have been familiar to the Apostle Paul. In Isaiah 59 verse 14 it speaks of truth lacking and truth stumbling. And then Isaiah 59 verse 17 it says that God has taken the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. God's own armor, his armor, his armor was a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation against a day where truth was stumbling and lacking. Or how's the Apostle Paul that comes to his mind, he's thinking just like God, what we need is the armor of God. We need the breastplate of righteousness. We, we, we have the shield of faith and we have the helmet of salvation. And Just let that inspire you a little bit. As you go into the battle and we're talking about putting on the whole armor of God, think about the fact that it's not just any armor, but I can go against the enemy with whose armor? God's armor. His truth. His righteousness. His salvation. In practical terms, it'd be like a coach who comes to a player and he says you see this jersey yes sir you know whose number that is yes sir he says today you're wearing it and he said every every week we pick a different player to wear this jersey because of who played in it what that number represents how they played the game and today you're the guy what happens in that guy's life he's used to wearing another number but he gets out there that day and he says man you've played like you've never played before. Why? He says, and I put that jersey on. And I wore that number and I thought about who he was and how he played. And it inspired me. It changed the way I played. And here when I think about the armor that we have, it's not just any armor. He's saying to us, take God's armor and go against the enemy. It's inspiring to think about. I'm not going in by myself. I'm wearing what God provides and what is his. The goal is to stand. The opportunity is preparation. The metaphor is an ar- the armor of God. So this verse, fasten on the belt of truth. The belt, the soldier's belt. The belt was not so much a weapon as it was just a part of the uniform. It was a part of his dress. This has a kind of a tunic on, a long cape, different pieces of cloth that wraps his body. There's a a sheath here that holds the sword. There's the shield laying here. 
There's a helmet laying here. You've got these pieces of the armor. But when a soldier got ready to go into battle, the way he knew he was officially ready was to take the belt and draw it tight. To take all of those loose clothes and all of the loose things hanging around and tighten it up to where the sword would hang tight and the, the cloth hanging around the ankles would be drawn up so you wouldn't trip or so you wouldn't stumble and the, the belt was what pulled it everything together held everything together so that the other weapons could be used in battle and it's intentional here in this passage for the very first thing that the apostle Paul to mention would be what holds everything together in our fight against the enemy and that is truth and why would that be because the enemy Jesus said, has been a murderer from the beginning, and he is the father of lies. John 8, 44. He's the father of lies. And the way you confront and overcome the enemy who's the father of lies is with truth. And we need the belt of truth to hold it all together. So the belt pulls it all together. And what is this word here? Truth. I want to give four descriptors of what truth is, and they're not real technical. It's just a way for us to think about how to fight lies because of understanding what truth is. But in the most simple way, when we say what is truth, you can boil it down to just this. Truth is what is real. Truth is what is real. It's just what's real. And the, the most dominant strategy for the enemy is to get us to live a life that puts more weight on what's false than what is real. And the battle that you have in your mind again and again and again are the lies of the enemy that feeds you stuff that's just not real. It's just not true. But he gets a grip on our minds and our hearts. You know, the, I remember the day I learned something was false, something that was fake. And it kind of rocked my world a little bit. And, and, and I share this illustration. I think a lot of times you all look at me like, man, that guy is really simple. And it's, I don't think that's always a compliment from you. But, um, but I, I like... I remember that like, there was a day where I thought the Brady Bunch lived in a house somewhere, but I could go visit them. I mean, they were real. And I couldn't wait to see the next episode. And there was this, as a 10th grader, our family goes to California. We did the tour. You know the tour. Admit it. And, and, and we got on the bus, and we drove by all the homes from the Hollywood shows. And I remember them saying, this is the Brady Bunch house. In my mind, I thought, we're stopping. <laughs> we're going to visit the Brady Bunch. I that, they live here? No, they don't. This is, remember, they show like this one picture at the beginning, and this is the house that they used as that picture. 
but this isn't where they are. And then we saw the big metal building, the warehouse, where inside they just build a floor, place a couch, and stairs that go to nowhere, and film a show. I'm devastated. It's just fake. But I believed it was real all along. Made me happy. It was fun. Something much more serious. The enemy builds sets in our minds, in our lives. And we begin to think they're real. They affect how we live. They affect decisions we make. They affect our relationship with other people. And God's back over here saying, it's not true. It's not real. It's fake. It's the enemy. He's, he deceives and he's saying we need the belt of truth. We need to tie our life together against the enemy by what is real and what is true. And here's some descriptions when you talk about truth. What, what is that? That so, can be vague. Well, it, truth is scriptural truth. Scriptural truth. Like when you read the word, you're reading what's real. You're reading what's true. And so we find out doctrine and theology and we, it's revealed to us who God is. How do we know that God is a creating God? Because his word tells us that in the beginning God created. How do we know that God is powerful? Because we read in the word the demonstrations of his power. Scriptural truth reveals to us who God is and what God says and what God says is right and what God says is wrong and then I would say to you not only is there scriptural truth I want to call this other descriptor salvific truth just S-A-L-V-I-F-I-C salvific truth and that just means any truth related to our salvation or our redemption and, and why separate this out because one of the huge areas that God uh, that that the enemy and Satan wins battles in your mind and in our lives has to do with our personal salvation. And in the what's proclaimed as being the way of salvation. And a big lie of the enemy is, is to say, yes, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the enemy says, plus this. For by grace are you saved through faith. And the enemy says, plus this. And again and again and again, the enemy will come to you. And when you believe you've settled salvation, you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you believe he died for you, you're following him. And the enemy comes and attacks you. You really believe that? You really believe that will save you? You don't believe that. And he, and he paralyzes us in the area of our own personal salvation. And how many times you find in the battle where maybe there's some conviction like, I need to share my faith with that person. But the enemy's saying, how can you share your faith with that person when you're not so sure about it yourself? And just those kinds of lies. And so we need to, we, we need to tighten the belt when it, of truth when it comes to our, what saves us and how a person is right with God. The third I would just call sincere truth and that is the absence of hypocrisy that is that in our life that we live in such a way that we're sincere it's integrity 
It's us being who we are. Sincerity is being who we are here and there. And they match everywhere. Like, like there's not this insincere life of truth where you got one foot living according to the world's ways and you got one foot living according to God's ways and you're trying to keep this crowd happy and pleased with you and you're trying to keep this crowd happy and pleased with you and what the enemy does he gets in the midst of that and he wins battles again and again and again because he keeps saying you're alive your life is alive and then what I would just call simple truth and it's not a real technical category but just the just the in our life when we're talking about truth it, it just in everyday conversations the things we look at the things we say we just we just simply need to focus on what is true and our world makes billions off of simple lies instead of simple truth I get an email every week now that's called scam of the week. Y'all get those? Scam of the week. And it's just trying to just say, here's, here's another way that people are lying to you to get you to believe this so that it'll cost you this. And just, just this week, I heard of a, a young family seeking to buy their first home. And they lost all their savings. They lost everything because they got lured into working with an online realtor and and it all just evaporated including their monies just deceived so when we think about tighten the belt of truth what are we to do well, we need to know the enemy seeks to deceive us in all of these areas he wants to deceive us in scriptural truth and salvific truth sincere truth and simple truth that's his goal is to deceive us and get us believing his lies and if we're going to win the fight of our life we must tighten up the belt of truth here's the here's the tension the tension in your life is that what is false has a tighter grip on your life than what is true and we need the Spirit of God to open our eyes and convict us and help us to go after truth so that we won't be girded by lies. We would be girded by truth. Some of you walked into this room today and the battle again and again and again was this. Why are you going? Nobody cares about you. You think you can be saved? You think God loves you? You're a great guy. You're a great girl. You don't need this. You don't measure up. Look at them. All their colors match. Hair's in place. Look at that family. You're an awful parent. Look how they got it all together. Can I tell you the truth? just lies of the enemy 
It makes you, puts you in a position where you're girded more by what's fake than what's real. So here's how we tighten the truth. It's by knowing the truth. It's key for us to recognize that Jesus shows us that truth is something that can be known. You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. How do we know the truth? We study the truth. We read the truth. We absorb, just we, we meditate on the truth. We say, what does the word say? When the enemy comes against us with a lie and says, this is who you are, we come back at him and say, no, this is what the word says. I'm going with what's true. When we do these Bible reading plans each year, you know why we do that? We're not like sending that into Nashville, getting some kind of bonus as a church. There's nobody up in heaven keeping score of how many times you read the Bible through in a year. Now, in Sunday school, when I was a kid, Miss Bertha, every Sunday, read your Bible, check, read your Bible, check. They kept score in Sunday school, but they're not keeping score in heaven. The reason that we read the Word is so we know the truth. And the more we read the Word and just take the truth in, the better we're able to combat the lies of the enemy. We tighten our belt by knowing the truth. We tighten the belt by believing the truth. And this is a work of God in our heart where we ask the Spirit of God, give me faith to believe. When you talk to believers in usually other parts of the world that are experiencing what's real persecution, like every day to make Jesus known, their life literally is on the line. And you ask them, how can we, how can we pray for you? It's so rare for you to ever hear a persecuted believer in some other place say, pray that the persecution stops. What you'll hear them say again and again and again, pray that our faith will be strong. What they're saying is pray that we will believe, that we will trust the promises of God. Knowing the truth tightens the belt of truth. Believing the truth tightens the belt of truth. Here's third, thinking on the truth. Thinking on the truth, giving time, giving thought to what is true. Philippians 4, verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, here's the word, think. Think about these things. And, and it would be wise of us to look at the kinds of things that we're thinking on. Compare, your, compare where your thought life is in categories. Think about your, your, your media use. Think about your song selections. Think about where your eyes are, where your ears are. I mean, look at how much time you're clicking through. Look at how much time you're reading Facebook. Look at how many times you're, how much time you're spending on TikTok. How much time you're spending on Instagram. How much time you're spending in media just clicking through what's the great majority is just edited. Looking at edited lives. And it creates lies in your own mind. We need to think on what's true. We are never more, we're never more influenced. We're never more under the influence of the devil than when we're believing lies 
Know the truth. Believe the truth. Think on the truth. Next is by living the truth. And that is we walk the walk. It means that you don't just hear a sermon and then you go out and say, I did it. You go out of here saying, I'm going to fight the fight. I'm going to believe the truth. I'm going to pray for faith. I'm going to spend time thinking on the truth. You, you, you walk the walk. And when we don't live the truth, the enemy comes hard there to create even more lies. We need to speak the truth. And one of the first ways is just preach the gospel to yourself. To tell yourself, hey, I'm saved and this is how I know. This is what I believe. This is what God says. Speak the truth. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. You're never more like, you're never more like Satan. Listen, you're never more like Satan than when you are lying. He is the father of lies. And when we're a person or a people that pro, uh, proclaims lies, we're like him. Here's the last exercise today that I believe ties it all together. I want to exhort you to write the truth. It may be a notepad. It may be a journal. It may be on a computer or on your phone. Would you take a few minutes this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow morning, to just write out the truth about who you are? Why? Because there's something that happens when we write out who we are. It gives to us almost like a constitution. It, it gives to us imprint, comes through our mind, through our heart, through our hands, onto the page for us to see with our eyes and then to use with our voice to say to the enemy, you say this, but this is who I am. Write out who you are. July 31st of this past summer, just before the Lord and some time, and I don't write stuff down every day, but on this Saturday, July 31st, I was started writing some things down, and part of this entry on that Saturday this past summer was this, take away my insecurities, but let me be secure in you and nothing of me. If I find myself, let that only be me finding you. Are there words you would have me write to look back on to remind me? I believe you would have me write who I am in you. And I was looking back at this again and reading through it. I realized that I wrote six pages. Just six pages that start with the phrase, I am because of you just a little so you'll know what I'm talking about here for you to write I am because of you a man created in the image of God I am because of you a sinner saved by grace through faith in Jesus as the one who died and was buried and rose back to life he did it in my place showing me who he is for sure and who for sure I will be. I am because of you a man raised and grown in Mount Hope, Alabama. Educated at Mount Hope School, Muscle Shoals High School, Auburn University, Mid-America Seminary, and Gordon-Conwell Seminary. I am because of you a husband to Carla Wilson Sibley. 
I am because of you a father to Graham and Carly, Connor and Emily, Madison and Brett, Cheney and Wilson. I am because of you a called by God servant to serve as a pastor to his sheep. I am because of you a pastor now serving the people of Watkinsville First Baptist. I am because of you a person that believes the Bible, seeks to live according to the Bible, and teaches the Bible as the way for others to believe and live. I am because of you a servant that relent. I am because of you a servant that reluctantly leads, but feels compelled to, because God put me here with little input from me. I am because of you a generally happy person. With the place I live, the work I do, and the things I have. I am because of you, a person that loves the local church when she operates according to God's word. I am because of you, a person that believes the greatest gift we receive is life. And that, and that life is a unique kind of life that is available only through a saving relationship with Jesus. And there are four more pages. I just stop there to just say to you, write out who you are. And use it to speak to your soul. Use it to give praise to the Lord. And listen, use it to give it back to the enemy. And when the Satan lies to you, you say, that's what you say. But here's what God says. This is who I am. And I am who I am because Christ is who he is in me. Tighten the belt of truth. I bet you know what we're going to sing right now. Let's stand together. Let's sing and declare to the Lord, to ourselves, and to the enemy who we are.